0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to check out some of the recent guests and conversations we've had on JM and the AM. We start with Shani Hyken, Shani Heikin, Executive Vice President of Jerusalem High, American Friends of Atarat Kornin. They have a big event coming up on Thursday of this week. This was my conversation this past Friday with Shani Hykend on JM and the AM. For you on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. JM and the AM Friday morning this coming Thursday night. This coming Thursday night, big, important event in New York City. For those of us who care about Jerusalem, for those of us who care about our brothers and sisters in the city, and those of us who care about the future of the city. The American Friends of Atarit Khanim, Jerusalem Chai, invites you to celebrate Yom Yerushalayim a drop early on Thursday night, the 30th of May, at the Marriott Marquis on Broadway. In New York City, the dinner will be chaired by Joey and Jennifer Honig, Jack and Lillian Strohr, guests of honor Aviva and Paul Gross, in memory of their father, Joe Mermelstein, the great Joe Mermelstein. Many distinguished honorees uh, in addition uh, to the Grosses. And um, this is all happening, as I said, Thursday night, May 30th. is coming Thursday night, Marriott Marquis, New York City. And I believe that Rabbi Goldstein from California uh, I believe that, um, uh, that Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein of Chabad of Poway, who made us all so proud during that horrific episode, is actually going to be the guest speaker this coming Thursday night. With us live via telephone, the Executive Vice President, American Friends of Atari Karnim, Jerusalem Chai, Shani Haikind, is with us live via telephone. Shani, welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Thank you very, very much, Nachama. Guten of Shabbos to you and all of your listeners. And you believe correctly, we have the uh, privilege of listening to a hero of the Jewish people, Rabbi Yisroel Goldstein of the Chabad of Poway, California, the ordeal he went through, the heroism he displayed. Wow! And to have him grace the presence of our dinner, grace us with his presence at our dinner, Is going to be quite, quite something. Um, He, unfortunately, faced down, or fortunately, he faced down, uh, hatred and terror, and lost a beloved congregant, Lori Kay, and uh, and and sadly, we have faced down, you know terrorists in our holy city of Yom Yerushalayim, and the families that we represent, the Konim families, whether they live in the heart of the old city, in the so-called Muslim and Christian quarters, or in Kidmat Siyon, or in Hazesim, or in Yemenite village, what the world refers to as Silwan, and we say it's our Yemenite village. Our families have faced terror, and they persevere, they never run away, they're not intimidated, they believe in Ataret Koenim's mission, renewing Jewish life in the heart of the old city and the neighborhood surrounding the old city, on my Yerushalayim, the defense of Jerusalem. And this dinner pays tribute to somebody whose name you just mentioned, a trailblazer, a visionary, our wonderful, dear, Joe Mermelstein Oliva Shalom, whose terrific kids, Aviva and Paul Gross, are our guests of honor. Where would a Tarakonim be today? Where would, uh, what would Yerushalayim look like today in the old city without the love that Joe Mermelstein had for, for his city, for our city? And we pay tribute to him this thir- this coming Thursday night, May 30th, um, in his memory, Aviva and Paul, who are just terrific, living the legacy of their wonderful father, Joe Mermelstein. Yeah, I'm sure
0: his family knows what kind of hero he was, that's for sure.
1: No question about it. So many people know, from from Natan Sharansky to Bibi Netanyahu, everybody knew the giant the gentle giant that Joe Mermelstein was. In fact, when I first started working in 1991, is that how many times I've gone on your show since 1991? <laughs> very, pos- very, <laughs> very possible. Dinner? Very possible.
0: Very possible. Right. And
1: Joe Mermelstein, a Shalom, was like one of the first people I ever met, together with Joe Frager and 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 the people who have moved Atarot Kohenim. And Joe ranks among them as as the best and the dearest. And um, we pay tribute to him. This, this coming Thursday night, um, besides Aviv and Paul as our gro- as our guests of honor, bringing out terrific friends and supporters from the Woodmere community, um, we are paying tribute to Rabbi Mayer and Brindy Melnick. Rabbi Melnick has played such an important role in the Rabbinical Alliance of America, very well known. We have two terrific couples serving as Bonayu Shalim honorees, Albert and Louisa Alaham of the uh, well-known and, may I say, delicious reserve-cut restaurant, <laughs> and Willie Pilku, who is in the scaffolding business and wants to build a scaffolding, emetz Hashem, for the on Mikdash. That's truly something to aspire to. It's, Wouldn't that qualify one as a Bonnet Yerushalayim Nachum?
0: It's an amazing goal, and yes, you're an official builder of the Jewish people, if you believe in that. That's for yeah. sure.
1: And uh then of course we have Ohe Sion honorees Daniel and Sippy Finkelman. Daniel is such a talented filmmaker who has brought the the picture, you know, brought to words, brought to life the vision, what a terraconium accomplishes in the old city. And for um to top everything off, three terrific young leadership honorees, Michael Seller, Ina Vernikov and S. D. Wald, all three. The future, young people who are leading the way and helping to inspire other young people to stand at the side of our amazing families living in the heart of Yerushalayim. You
0: know, uh, Shani, I, I I point this out all the time to you when it comes to dinner time. Um, you you did one of the most wonderful things for us when you arranged for the JMAM staff to see some of the places you're referring to the and to meet the heroes that are really on the front lines because Yerushalayim is not all Ben Yehuda some areas of Yerushalayim are really rough areas to live in and and to take a big sacrifice for for a couple and their family their children uh, to live there we saw that up close and personal literally on the on the front lines and what we always say is especially after that visit is that they will continue to be on the front lines and expand and 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 help our city flourish all we have to do is show up at the Marriott Marquis and enjoy a delicious, incredible dinner uh, on Thursday night, right? Is that a good arrangement? Where I, I, where I think that sounds like a pretty good deal, Nahum,
1: I must tell you, you're mentioning the neighborhoods where our families lived so cor- lived so courageously. Last year, we had the privilege, and I mean privilege, of listening to Nira Rabanovich and Chaim Liebtag. And I um, met Nira two summers ago. We were walking in Yemenite Village with guards, and Nira pointed out to us a man standing on a rooftop, literally across the street from her house. And she said, Shani, Chaim, that is the snake of Silwan. I said, Nira Maze, snake of Silwan. She goes, that's the man who directs all the terrorist activity against our buildings, our cars, us. I said, she, I said, Nira, you're a mother of five, Nine her, I think she just had number six. Baruch Hashem. I said, Nira, your parents made aliyah from England. Your husband's an attorney. You're a social worker. You could live anywhere in Jerusalem—Beit Gan, Baka, Rehavia, German Colony. I said, Why do you choose? Why are you living across the street from the Snake of Silwan? She looked me in the eye. Nachum, she said, without batting an eyelash, she said, Shani, is this his Jerusalem? Or is it my Jerusalem? Mm. He can live here, and I can't? Nacham, this is the strength, this is the commitment, this is the fortitude of our families, so committed to keeping Jerusalem united with Jewish life. So what do we do? Besides say, Okay, nice, we daven, we bench, we say these wonderful words. Does it have any meaning to us, Nacham? How do we show these families that we're with them, that we believe in what they're doing, that we stand with them. I'll tell you how. By showing support. And how do you do that? By being with us to pay tribute to our honorees and to send a message to these families. You're not alone. You're living there, but it's our Jerusalem. It's not just their Jerusalem. It's our Jerusalem also, how do we put that into action, Nahum? By visiting them, by, sh- by meeting them, by giving them chizuk, and By helping to support the tremendous families who live with their kids, and they're not scared, they're not intimidated. Nobody's run away. Nachem we've lost, we've lost Rabbeim, like Rabbi Neftali Lavi, three years ago, and today we have a pinacham that serves food to soldiers and and tourists, and you know people from all over the world. You know, come to stop on the way to the kotel. It's, it's tremendous. We have our summer day camps, our Purim Pesach day camps, emergency security equipment for for intercom systems and cameras. It's not an easy life, Nachum. The people who've listened to your show, who've gone on tour with us, they know what a difficult life this is. What are we asking? Stand by their sides. Show them that you care. How? By contributing to this dinner, by being at this dinner, by, by, by paying tribute to a giant like Joe Mermelstein. Can I, I mean, and, and by the people who, who are willing to put their, you know, to, to make this dinner successful, to bring in their friends and family and business associates to, to be with them when we honor the families who love Jerusalem so much that they're willing to live where very few of your listeners. are are willing to live. And that's okay, as long as we show them we care. And the way to show them we care, the way to show them that we believe that Jerusalem has to be united with Jewish life, with children playing on our rooftop playgrounds, with boys learning in our yeshivas in Yerushalayim, how do you do that? By being a part of American Friends of Konim and showing up next Thursday night and calling me in the office today at 212 216 9270. I'll repeat that. 212 216 9270. American oh. From all of your listeners, Naham, that of course they're going to be at this dinner to show support. For, for for Joe Mermelstein's dream, for all of our belief in the mission that Jerusalem is the heart and soul
0: of the Jewish people, the, and we will not forget her. The American Friends of At-Tarit Karnim, Jerusalem Chai invite you to celebrate Yom Yerushalayim this Thursday night at the Marriott Marquis in New York City, dinner at 6, program at 7.30. As you heard, guests of honor of Eva and Paul Gross in memory of their father, Joe Mermelstein, many, many, Distinguished honorees, mazal tov to all of them. And we ask everybody, as Shani Hyken just said, to log on to jerusalemchai.org slash dinner, jerusalemchai.org slash dinner, or dial 212-216-9270, 212-216-9270, and get those reservations in ASAP. Again, that's 212-216-9270. Uh, or right on the web, you can go there now, Jerusalemchai.org, Jerusalemchai.org slash dinner. Shani Haiken, I thank...
1: Nah, Nahum, I want to say one more word, please. It's so imperative that people come out also to hear this awe-inspiring Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein. He is mamash. I mean, I, I, when when... I spoke to him two days ago with Dr. Frager and Chaim. We spoke to him. The way he talked about Hashem giving him another chance to do good in this world and that he wanted to, he wants that to include spreading the Rebbe's message of Yishuv Aretz. And this is our land. Rabbi Goldstein, wow, you must come out to listen to this wonderful Rav, Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein from Chabad of Poway
0: very much agree with that. Thank you, Shani, and Shabbat Shalom to you. Shabbat Shalom. That was my conversation with Shani Hykend. Information about the dinner, Jerusalemchai.org. Dr. Mark Singer joined us on Lave Baomer the day before Lag Baomer to discuss heart-healthy tips. He's an amazing doctor. We had a great conversation. Dr. Mark Singer was our guest on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. JM in the AM. Shomer Yisrael, you know, uh, the one above obviously watches over Israel, but we have an obligation to watch over ourselves as well. And that's a good segue for our first guest this morning on JM in the AM. For the last God knows how many years, uh, we have been featuring Dr. Mark Singer, our dear friend who is a cardiologist and a great one at that, on Lave Ba Omer. Lave, of course, 20, excuse me, 32nd day of the Omer, but Lave means heart. So we've always used the opportunity to give him a chance to say something about good heart healthy uh, habits and activities, it is I believe, it, I think it's the first time Dr. Mark is on the air since his wedding to Toby back in December. Last lave baomer he was single. This lave baomer he is Baruch Hashem married, and I'm going to use this opportunity to say Mazal Tov to Toby and Dr. Mark from all of us here at JM and the AM Doc. Are you ready to accept our Mazaltov Tov wishes on this lave Omer?
2: With a smile and gratitude,
0: thank you so very much. What a difference a year makes, huh? Total change of heart. <laughs> well, not really. You did follow your heart. It's just a little bit of a change in life. That's all. Exactly. <laughs> well, Always it's make good room in
2: your heart for someone.
0: It is great to have you on, and to it wish. It is
2: truly an honor to wish everyone and all of the listeners a happy leave at Bulma.
0: You know, with all this stuff, wedding talk, Laveba Omer being a holiday as you've declared it, maybe we should just allow weddings on this Laveba Omer and, you know, start the whole logbomer thing a day early.
2: Nothing like finding issues to the Sintra.
0: All right, folks, I'm just kidding. I don't want to know. I don't want anyone to, you know, to revolt against JM and the AM. I'm just kidding. We're going to wait till tomorrow <laughs> to celebrate and get the music really rolling. All right, um, you know, every year I give you an opportunity to toss out a tidbit. This time I want to lead you if you don't mind. Um, Please. You know, th- there's always these, this whole issue of heart-healthy foods, right? We, You and I always talk about diet and exercise obviously being the two main things when people want to pay more attention to their heart and its health. But we always read and hear through our regular media about heart-healthy foods. It could be greens or whole grain or berries or avocado, fish, beans, etc., etc., etc. You know the whole list. And I'm wonder sure. and I'm, here's my question, I'm wondering if someone like yourself and your colleagues take that stuff seriously, or those lists are really for the consumers and the regular folks and when you read your medical journals and get all the latest studies, uh, all that stuff doesn't make much of a difference. How would you describe uh how we view these lists and information and in the way professionals like yourselves do?
2: I think we take everything in context. We have to look at the patient, how they're doing. There's some people who are more prone to heart disease that have to be extra super careful. You're people who have naturally uh, inclination against heart disease, so therefore they can be a little free in their diet. Um, so you're not
0: uh, cynical. You're not cynical when you see consumer lists come out or consumer, you know, studies like when you know you'll be watching the news one night and all of a sudden you know butter is not good for you, and the next night butter is good for you. You, you don't you don't roll your eyes at that. You just. You, know, you you just look at it more in, more in depth down the road than the rest of us would.
2: Sure. So many things are moving target. One of the classic things has been, for example, whether or not someone should take an aspirin right. to prevent heart disease. Right. And that, that that barometer has moved from both sides of the issue. Um, I think you have to look at whether or not they've got other risk factors, what kind of shape they're in, do they have other disease that you have to worry about the bleeding risks of aspirin, or is it worth the beyond to prevention? And that's why you just can't get your medical care off a television station. You have to individualize it with the guidance of a good physician.
0: You know, you just explained why not only TV, but you've also explained why Dr. Google is probably not the best way to go, and that people shouldn't think that they could diagnose themselves or others just by searching for different for searching for different facts and opinions on the web.
2: We will always remember that an educated consumer can be our best patient. Right. Uh, so people come in with good questions, good research, and good suggestions, but it has to be taken with the appropriate uh and the and read in context of the patient and current literature.
0: You're going to find Dr. Mark Singer is with us, of course, uh, his first uh, married late Boomer, <laughs> as I pointed out earlier, uh, as we talk about the heart here at JMN. Uh, you're going to find it funny that I say this because you know that I'm I'm best at avoiding it, uh, but, but the best thing that one can do then is to make a an appointment at their cardiologist or a general internist and start examining some of these things, some of these factors, especially as all of us get older because, as you just said, the more personal the diagnosis, the more personal the analysis, the better a medical professional can serve a consumer. Uh, not
2: only that, but you can get positive feedback. I mean, all, these wonderful doctor asked. You can check your heart rate, you can check your blood pressure, um, but there are certain things that just need to be seen, integrated, and packaged that can be done in a doctor's office that cannot be done on a smartphone, no matter how smart the phone is or dumb the doctor is.
0: (laughs) Very good way of putting it. Um, All right, so, I, I mean, as usual, the message always is diet and exercise, and we always use this day to remind people about paying more attention to it, but I guess we can give an additional message this year. Uh, number one, make the appointment. And number two, uh, try to get as much personal attention in all these areas as possible. Don't rely on all the general stuff that comes out. As I said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, when, when these announcements are made and they're consumer-driven, it's an interesting piece of information. But as it relates to a specific patient, only a professional can make that decision or at least make an educated decision uh, for that patient.
2: I'd always well put Nahum Siegel. I
0: appreciate that, Doc. Uh enjoy the show tomorrow. We know you love Lave Ba but hey, let's not forget the fact that you love all the music on Log Omer as well.
2: And not only on the show, but on the stream and all day long. Exactly. So on behalf of Claudia well, <laughs> thank you, Nahum Siegel. And model tub to Nahum Siegel and the entire Siegel family as well.
0: Baruch Hashem, uh, your family and ours have had, an, and and so many others. Baruch Hashem, have had an opportunity to celebrate a lot of wonderful things recently. It to just keep going. Kane yerbu, as they say. Amen. Thanks so much, Doc, and happy Lave, Ba Omer. Chag Sameach to you in all the wishes. <laughs> yes, Chag Sameach. Now we're really stretching it. <laughs> Chag Sameach <laughs> to you, you, to you as well, and thank you for the good wishes. Obviously, Doc is uh, referring to Benjamin and Kayla and their recent engagement, and we should all celebrates smachot together Wednesday morning broadcast it's it's lave bomer you can't forget this one folks it's sort of like tonight in shul when no one can uh, can ask what day is it because they know they know what to count we've extended that whole practice to lave bomer you know if it's the day before lag Baomer, then we're at day 32 in the counting of the omer 4 weeks and 4 days oh doesn't the heart have four chambers and it's 4 weeks and 4 days hmm I'm going to have to save that one for next year for Dr. Mark Singer. More coming up at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Dr. Mark Singer, who joined us to discuss heart-healthy discuss heart tips on Ba Omer. Ellie Beer is next up. They have their big event coming up for um, United Hatzala this coming Thursday night on Pier 60 in New York City. Ellie Beer went through some of the information about United Hatzala and information about the dinner on a recent appearance on JM in the AM. Here he is, Ellie Beer, on JM Rewind at the Malcolm Siegel Network. JM in the AM. Tuesday morning, day 31 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Well, the the man who has the privilege, and I think he'd agree that it's a privilege of leading uh, of a leading, um IsraelRescue.org, leading Hatzalah, United Hatzalah of Israel. Uh, Ellie Beer is with us live via telephone. Those of you who are not familiar with what's going on, pay careful attention, because on Thursday night, a week from this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Pier 60 in New York City, a unique, to say the least, a unique event uh, for United Hatzalah is going to be taking place. Ellie Beer, shalom, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM.
3: Tove to all of you, and uh, good afternoon to all my Israeli friends in Israel.
0: <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say uh, you consider it an honor to lead the uh, United Hatzalah organization. Correct.
3: Every single minute of the day, I enjoy seeing the work of United Hatzalah, and I'm humbled to be um, a part of this. It's uh, it's the greatest chos I ever could imagine to have.
0: And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize, um, we've emphasized over the years how United Hatzala takes care of everybody, of every background, everywhere in Israel. But I think the numbers is something that people don't realize. I I mean, you could could actually tell us, on average, how many calls are going on in a typical day like today. The the number is astounding, right? Uh,
3: Yeah, I checked. Yesterday, because uh I was just looking at the report of yesterday, you know I get a report every day what happened and how how fast our main main you know goal and, and mission of United Salah is to reach the scene within ninety seconds, and we we check to see where we're doing good, where we need to add more volunteers. Yesterday, we responded to a thousand five hundred and thirty five calls just yesterday, and um it was just all around Israel from a lot up to the Golan Heights, um, all over, you know, every single yeshuv in Israel, Yudah Vashem Tel Aviv, uh, Haifa, everywhere in Israel, and these are with getting close to 6,000 volunteers who are doing
0: the work. It's amazing. Those numbers are just incredible. The number of calls per day, the number of ambu-cycles that are on the road, the number of ambulances that are serving people. The number of volunteers, as you just said, which is now approaching 6,000 around the country, it is quite an amazing operation. Uh, United Hatsala is what we're talking about. Ellie Beer is with us live via telephone. So uh, your organization has put together a a unique, uh, a really unique and interesting uh, fundraising event that's going to be happening next Thursday night on the 30th of May at Pier 60. Tell me about the... Uh, about the origins of this, of doing something so different and so spectacular in New York.
3: Well, it's, uh, it's very interesting you saying that because, you know, one of the things we were able to do in, in Eretz Yisrael is to bring everyone together in this mission of Atzala. Atzala and Eretz United Atzala, is throughout every single community. We have every type of Jew, every t- like, think about it, every type of Chassid, every type of, uh, every type of uh, modern Orthodox, uh, and even secular Jews throughout the whole country. We have people who never met a firm Jew in their lives, and now they're working together hand-in-hand to save lives. We have really a unique thing, and that's why we actually call the organization United Hatzel. Right. So when we decided to do uh, our uh, gala, uh, gala here in New York, we said, we're going to make sure every type of Jew will be there. We're going to bring uh, from, uh, from p- very from people from Williamsburg to very secular Jews and even uh, um, conservative reform. Anyone who wants to be part of this life-saving mission of United Aztele should be invited. So we made it uh, very comfortable for everyone. And we brought uh, uh, one special guest who's going to come and get an honoree from the organization, which uh, really deserves it. You know, we were thinking, who really deserves uh, our award, the Jerusalem Award of United Reptila, uh, if not for uh, the person who fought and brought the embassy to Jerusalem, which is uh, Ambassador David Friedman, uh, who did so much for Amishra before he was ambassador. He was big, Boston, did so much for uh, the Jewish community here in America, where he came from in the five towns and did so much for Israel, was very involved with Aksela before. And uh, now, after two and a half years of being an ambassador, you've seen the difference between the relationship with Israel and America. And it's no doubt that he did most of the work here in pushing everything to, be, to happen, and he's going to be there, and he's coming especially
0: for this. The second annual New York Gala, as you heard Ellie Beer mention, will give a Jerusalem Award to honoree. U.S. Ambassador to Israel David Friedman. It's all happening at Pier sixty six thirty p.m. on Thursday, May the thirtieth. Go to uh u h n y for United Hatzalah. U h n y rather. U n u h n y gala for information about the dinner coming up. Now you've chosen a a very interesting MC. Those who are who are still remembering their addiction to one of Israel's um, most uh, well-known television products, right? Tell us who you're going to have, who's going to be presiding over the uh, dinner that night.
3: So that's another part of making to bring it United. You know, we all know uh, uh, David Friedman, Ambassador David Friedman is an uh, Orthodox uh, Jew. Uh, we brought someone from Israel who uh, did a great job in her, in her show called Fauda. Everyone watched Fauda. It doesn't matter how, no, some people don't like TV, but once you start it's about it, you can't end it, and everyone watched it. And the main actress in the show is uh, Rona Lee Shimon. Right. Uh, she's incredible. She's one of Israel's best actresses. Um, and she's uh, coming specially to be the MC. And uh, it's going to be very interesting. Another person that's coming is uh, uh, this uh, very famous singer. His name is Dudu Aron. We want to bring the young people. Udu Aron sings from the Shama. He's a very, probably one of the greatest Israeli singers. Um, he fills up, when he makes a concert in Israel, he fills up uh, the Kisaria, the Syria Stadium, which is there. 60,000 people come to the show, uh, and he's going to come to the gala. And at the end of the gala, he's going to sing something really, really special. And then together with him, he's, a, he's, not, a, from Jew, he's not a religious Jew, but he sings from his, from his heart. The Sephardic singer. We're also going to have a special guest here, Natanal Hershkis. He's going to sing a couple of songs there. Nice. So we're going to have a mixture of everything to bring all the Jews together to support this incredible organization, United Hatzalah.
0: It is a United event, and United Hatzalah of Israel and friends of United Hatzalah invite everybody, everybody, to be there at Pier 60 in New York on Thursday, May the 30th. It's a week from this coming Thursday night, beginning at 6:30 p.m. Special guest is U.S. Ambassador to Israel and Jerusalem Award honoree David Friedman. You heard uh, Ellie Beer mention that there'll be a performance by Dudu Aharon, the great Israeli singer, and the MC will be Rona Shimon of uh, Netflix's big show Fauda. That's all going to be happening at the second annual New York Gala on the 30th of May. Information uh, you go to uhnygala.com, uh, uhnygala.com. You could also go to Israelrescue.org. IsraelRescue.org, or dial the number 646-833-7108, 646-833-7108. And I am proud to say that I will be there that night, a week from Thursday. Ellie has given me the honor of presiding over uh, what we would call the the live fundraising portion of the event when people get up and express their love and their uh, desire to help uh, United Hatzalah of Israel. And, Ellie, you've seen a lot of people uh, here in Chutzlar, it's in the diaspora, uh, get very emotional as they get up and tell stories of their friends and family who've been saved by your organization, by they themselves, when they've been tourists or guests for Chag in Israel, and how your organization has helped them, and what they know in general about the numbers that you're helping and the people that you're helping all around the country. So that should be a very emotional and passionate part of the program, and I hope everybody out there will not only come, but will find themselves to be very active in that part and support the United Hatzala as much as possible. So I thank you for letting me preside over that part of the program, I'm, and I'm sure you're anticipating a great response from the New York community.
3: Uh, definitely. We're talking about probably close to 1,500 people that will be there. Hopefully. We have an amazing response from the community, people buying tables, people coming individually, buying tickets. Uh, people who are just sponsoring uh, ads in the gala, but uh, you know, you were saying before about I get I get people stop me all the time in the street and said, Ellie, you just know I tell her, save my niece, my nephew, my cousin, my mother, my father. I get this all the time, uh, and just be, just a couple of weeks ago, I was so emotionally moved by, I, I was stopped by somebody they said, you know, uh, about four years ago they donated an ambicycle, one of these motorcycles that uh, you see tri- saving lives in Israel, these ambicycles that United States invented and we have almost a, uh, probably a thousand of them all over Israel. They donated one and they told me their name, their family donated it and they said uh, that their son was in Yeshiva in Israel and they went as a group to Eilat. Uh, the Yeshiva students, they went uh, to Eilat with the uh, the yeshiva and their son uh, was dehydrated and uh, needed medical assistance. And, more, and all of a sudden, they, they called Hatzalah course, our number in Israel, is 1221. And within a few, less, less than two minutes, they had a volunteer arrive. And when he arrived, he arrived with their ambicycle. Wow. The volunteer in Eilat, Avichanu, he was driving their ambicycle, and he uh, helped save their son. Wow. And they were just telling me this story how they donated it a couple of years before, and it uh, helped save their, their their own son. And I get this all the time, and you're going to hear a lot of great stories. But one of the nice emotional things that, uh, that we're going to hear is uh, the mother of Ezra Schwartz, Hashemikom uh, Damo, Ruth, she's going to be there. We're honoring her in a special honoree. Um, For everything her son Ezra did for Israel and he gave his life for the country unfortunately never came back home.
0: Gave his life for the country and frankly really helped unite us as well as you know. Of course everyone
3: everyone felt united that day.
0: No question about it. Uh, Ellie, do me a favor before I let you go address the following issue for me. Uh, We've been making a big deal for a good reason about how the world is now coming to Israel's feet how there are so many countries uh, for so many different reasons, whether it be technology, whether it be spirituality, whether it be because of the strength of the Israeli army and its presence in the Middle East. There are people who are now meeting with and recognizing leaders of Israel, including, of course, especially the prime minister, who never would have met or never would have acknowledged their leadership uh, in the past. And I know that, you and and, and by the same token, all the technology, whether it be water technology or startup nation type uh, activity, is being sought after by so many other countries and so many other entities around the world if it's developed in Israel. You have a unique approach, your organization, United Hatzalah, to life-saving. You have a unique approach that really cuts the amount of time off of a, um, a typical rescue mission. Let's put it that way. Um, can you speak for a moment about how you have been approached by so many different groups and entities around the world to teach them the technology and the techniques that United Hatzalah uses in Israel
3: um, well it's it's incredible to see that I, we get we get uh, every single day requests from countries all around the world. as we're talking uh, now the ambassador of uh, one of the big countries in Europe is visiting United Attila now to see the work of uh, United Attila, and he wants to bring it to his country. Um, just a few weeks ago, we uh, we had Malcolm Holmline, uh who everyone knows, visit uh, uh, with uh, you know a bunch of leaders who came to Uganda. And one of the things they saw in Uganda is United Atella of Uganda, United Rescue of Uganda. This is an African organization that started basically because of what they saw in Israel, they wanted a copy. Uh, in in, in Colombia, which is, uh, I don't think they have a lot of Jews in the city that it started in, maybe a couple of Jews living there, but a non Jewish person who saw an accident and uh, he waited for almost two hours for help, and the person uh, passed away. And he said, What could I do to, to make things better for my people in my city? And he went on the internet and he was looking and searching and he found United Azala of Israel. And he said, wow, this technology that we use, we invented the Moskowitz Life Compass, which is a technology that knows how to locate the closest people to every emergency, like Uber. Right. We invented Uber before Uber was invented. And we <laughs> invented it for saving lives, not for transporting people and making money, just transport saving lives with people. We invented the AmbuCycle and other inventions that we invented. And he started United of Colombia. And right now he has almost 200 volunteers in Colombia. Exactly what we do. They do it there. So we're helping spread uh, the mission of United Azzel in over 20 countries now. Uh, These things are giving Israel a tremendous Kiddush Hashem recognition. Goyim, who never heard of all the great work that Israel comes out with, uh, all of a sudden interested to learn about it. I was just in uh, Argentina speaking in front of uh, thousands of young professionals who wanted to hear about this. And uh, I would say uh, 95% of the people in the room were not Jewish, and they were just astounded of the ideas of how simple it is to, to do this. It's not a hard—everyone knows Hatzalah because you have it in your community, but the idea of Hatzalah behind it, the technology that Israel uses, the the ideas of motorcycles and bicycles and special vehicles of how you can get there much faster and save lives, this is something that many countries want to copy this. We did this in Jersey City, you know. Jersey City now has United Rescue of, of, of uh, United Rescue of Jersey City. It's the same idea we have in Israel. We bought it for the non-Jewish people. This is they did it. The mayor of Jersey City took the idea. Uh, you could interview mm-hmm. him and hear and how it changed the whole city. Two, uh, 250 volunteers in Jersey City are saving lives, and they all know. And one of them, many of them are not Jewish. So of course, the majority of them are not Jewish. Some of them are Muslim. And, uh, uh, they come from different backgrounds, but they know that this idea came from Israel, and now they are saving lives in their city.
0: Friends of United Tatsala of Israel, there's so much to be proud of, everybody. Don't forget to be there on Thursday night, the 30th of May, 6.30 p.m. at Pier 60. Be there for Ambassador Friedman. Uh, be there for the uh, MC of the night, Ronali Shimon of Fauda. uh Be there for the performance of Dudu Aharon. Be there for the uh, parents of Ezra Schwartz. Be there so that you know that Israel Rescue, United Hadassah will continue as strong as they are now in the entire state of Israel for everybody. Second annual New York Gala, information israelrescue.com. Is, org. Excuse me, israelrescue.org or uhnygala.com. Uhny for United Hadassah New York. Uhnygala.com. Or you can dial the office at area code 646. 8337108. Ellie Beer directs United Hatzalah of Israel. Ellie, we look forward to next week, Thursday night. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. That was my conversation with Ellie Beer. This coming Thursday night, the United Hatzalah event takes place on Pier 60 in New York City. Kate Stewart is next. Uh, we discussed her most recent book, A Well Read Woman The Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport, A fascinating read. And we had a great conversation. Author Kate Stewart on this edition of JM Rewind at the Malcolm Siegel Network. JM in the AM, 8.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. In fact, i got to thank Kate Stewart, who's with us live via telephone, because she's in a uh, a Western time zone. So she's really gotten up early to join us here at JM. And there's a brand new book. It's called A Well-Read Woman, The Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport. Uh, growing up under fascist censorship in Nazi Germany, Ruth Rappaport absorbed a forbidden community of ideas and banned books. After fleeing her home in Leipzig at 15 and losing both parents in the Holocaust, she drifted between vocations, relationships, and countries, searching for belonging and purpose. When she found her calling in librarianship, Ruth became not only a witness to history but an agent for change as well. Called from decades of diaries, letters, and photographs, This epic true story reveals a driven woman who survived persecution, political unrest, and personal trauma through a love of books. It traces her activism from the Zionist movement to the Red Scare, to bibliotherapy in Vietnam, and finally to the Library of Congress, where Ruth made an indelible mark and found a home. Connecting it all, one constant thread, Ruth's passion for the printed word and the haven it provides. A haven that, as this singularly compelling biography proves, Ruth would spend her life making accessible to others. This wasn't just a career for Ruth Rappaport. It was her purpose. Kate Stewart, our author, is a third-generation librarian, born and raised in the Midwest, masters in history and library science. She's worked as a librarian and archivist for ProQuest, the Library of Congress, and the U.S. Senate in Washington. She's currently an archivist at the Arizona Historical Society in Tucson, Arizona. You can go to kate-stewart.com for more information. The book, entitled A Well-Read Woman, is a little a publishing house uh, publication available, of course, everywhere. Kate Stewart, welcome to JM and the AM.
4: Thank you so much.
0: Don't take this the wrong way, but you, <laughs> but but you generally don't see the word passion and librarianship in the same sentence. Um, what does that, right off the bat, tell us about Ruth Rappaport? If in fact her passion was for the printed word. <laughs> well i would
4: I would challenge that assertion. I think a lot of librarians are very passionate about their jobs. They really care about what they do. um you know providing access to books i think is it's one of the most important things that we can do for communities but i think i mean I think she's a person who is especially passionate about it. um She's kind of known far and wide for being a very assertive person for always fighting for you know, a bigger budget for her libraries um, and fighting against censorship in any of her libraries. Um, And even to the point where I know I interviewed people who worked with her, especially at the Library of Congress, who said she wasn't always a very pleasant person to work with. (laughs) But I think part of that was really, you know, the passion that she had for the work.
0: Um, The book banning, the, uh, the, 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 the whole topic, the whole... Uh, area of book banning and and obviously it's juxtaposition against you know being against censorship I mean complete total opposites I mean we we talk about you know history making the man and things like that I mean was it that experience that you think as her biographer uh, really jump-started this love and passion for books because she saw what certain people and groups were willing to do in order to censor the printed word?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think she had these incredibly formative experiences in Leipzig, which was, at the time, it was this, you know, world-famous publishing city. And she grew up in this famous neighborhood full of publishers and bookstores. And, you know, when she was about 13 was when um, book banning began in Germany. And she belonged to a Zionist youth group that used to pass, you know, banned books around to each other so they could read them. You know, she saw a book burning on the street. And those experiences, you know, she never forgot and I think throughout her life, too, she kept coming across these instances of, um, you know, people trying to ban books or information. You know, she worked for a lawyer named Max Lowenthal, um, who wrote the first book um, that exposed, you know, what the FBI was doing in the 1950s. You know, he published this book in 1950. She helped him get that book out, even though um, J. Edgar, Edgar Hoover was trying to suppress the publication of that book.
0: Oh, yeah. I know, and, that. I know that story, right.
4: right? Yeah, yeah. So um, – she witnessed that you know up front when she was a librarian for the military in Vietnam. One thing that she did was try to fight against um there was this idea that you know that the troops there really shouldn't be reading any anti war material right. and she made sure that they were going to have access to know what was going on at home, even you know to have have a really wide range of materials about the war itself, you know to have different opinions about what was happening in Vietnam um even when she was at the Library of Congress too, she did a lot of work to make sure that um, the subject headings that we use in catalog records, this is not something people think about a lot. Right. right.
0: But but, just, but somebody that, has to come up with it, right?
4: Right. And yeah. and these are standardized terms. You know, they have to be approved and be you
0: right. know, considered
4: the official term used in, in all catalog records. And a lot of that language was really offensive. Um, and it wasn't really until the seventies and eighties that a lot of librarians started to push back and, and want those those terms changed. And she was one of the people who who were leading the charge against that.
0: Kate Stewart is with us. Her parents were lost in the Holocaust. How did she survive?
4: Um, She was quite lucky, but I think also um, she made some bold decisions as a teenager. Um, What happened was uh, she was in Leipzig during Kristallnacht, and she saw that and walked around the city. And it really scared her. She knew that she couldn't stay and she had two you know older sisters who had both left germany by that point and she felt like i can't stay behind you know even though there were some difficulties with her parents with getting out of the country for them um so what happened was after that you know her school was closed so her mother took her on a trip to switzerland a trip that she had been planning for quite a while and then on the way back um you know, they were the train was headed back into Germany, and Ruth decided, I can't do this, and she jumped off the train wow. and um, ended up staying by herself for a year in Switzerland. Um, she got hooked up with a an organization that was started to help, you know, Jewish kids, and she ended up staying with a whole slew of of foster families over a year. She's kind of bounced around, um, and then eventually, she, I mean, she had been trying to for for quite a few years to get a visa to go stay with. She had three uncles who lived in Seattle. And eventually, um, at the end of that year, she was finally able to get that visa and came to the U.S. You know, but her parents, yeah, stayed behind in Germany,
0: right? Unfortunately, um, the um, at what point does she start to move up the ladder when it comes to librarianship? Because when we, when we as lay people, you know, who are not really that familiar with librarian work, you know, see names right. like Library of Congress and you know. Uh, and and you know things like you know we we assume that's the top of the heap so to speak. When did she start climbing that ladder?
4: Yeah, it was a long process for her. You know, she when she came to the U.S., she had a series of jobs as you know a secretary, very low level positions for many years. She struggled to get through college, um, but she wrote in her diary when she was nineteen. You know, I want to become a librarian someday. She knew that was her dream. Um, so it wasn't really until she was in her thirties that she was able to you know finish college and go to library school. And it was really um, by by accepting a job with the military, um, which, you know, in hindsight, I, you know, I kind of question, why did she want to work for the military after all that she had gone through? And, and these you know, she was lived through two other wars, um, including, you know, the war in, in Israel in 1948. She was also there for that. Right. Um, but I think it was through the military. She took this opportunity in Saigon in 1963. There were no librarians, no libraries there at all for the military. And she took on this job to... To build a new library and to build these branch library systems at different bases, And she ended up turning that job into much more than anyone ever expected. We so, never, we was, never, we
0: never, you know, for those of us not really familiar with, you know, being in, on the inside of the military, we don't even think about that, how there are right. how there know, are such institutions as libraries.
4: Common, yeah. <laughs> Widely known that the, the military, especially in the 1950s, that's when there was a huge boom in building libraries when the, the military was expanding all over the world, especially in Asia um, and Europe. Um and it was, you know, considered, you know, both important for, for people in the military to be, you know, educated, to know what, what they were were doing in these different countries and stuff and to have some some leisure time. But um yeah, I mean she she was so invested in, in building this library system. Her her bosses called it Ruthie's Little Empire. And I think she she was so adamant, you know, that every every man deserves, you know, the book that he wanted to read, regardless, you know, of how hard it was to get it to him. Um, and so she she was there for eight years. Um, she was really like a master of logistics, you know, of getting – of ordering these books from, from you know, overseas and she, getting them to these men. It was a really knew, complicated, big system. She yeah. knew how to
0: get stuff done, huh? <laughs> yes, yeah, she
4: did. She was really
0: – I mean,
4: and to the point of being annoying to be telling people. And then she eventually, you know, was able to get this job at the Library of Congress and worked her way up there, too, to becoming a, a supervisor.
0: Um, uh, Kate Stewart's with us. The book is called A Well-Read Woman, The Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport. It, it must be, I don't know, I don't i don't think ironic's the right word. It must be satisfying for you that you're writing a biography about some, and releasing a book about somebody who fought for books, who fought for, you know, against book banning, book burning, and censorship in general. There must be some, you know, some cool aspect of that, that you're, you know, promoting and and really, you know, uh, enhancing her life story by releasing this. Yeah, it's something,
4: um, you know, I've been a librarian for a long time um, and worked in this world, you know, for several years. Um, I also, my background is in history. You know, as a history major, I went to grad school for that too. So this has been a great way for me to, you know, combine those aspects of what I really love to do. But also, um, I mean, that's, I I think somebody else maybe writing about her might not have focused so much on the librarianship aspect of her life because her life touched on so many different really right. interesting historical aspects. But for me I always I was always finding this thread throughout her life about books, you know, what books meant to her, um, how she was fighting for other people um to have access to, to books. And especially, you know, libraries for, you know, millennia have been kind of a safe haven for people. You know, as a place where um you know, you're not, you don't have to buy anything at a library. Um, and, access and, to, to what's there is free, and, get, know, and, and everyone get, should be welcome. And you
0: get to jump into ideas, which is so amazing, the ocean of yeah, ideas.
4: Yeah, I think for so many disadvantaged people, it's it's been this wonderful place for them to be able to, you know, explore ideas, you know, to find
0: themselves. Do most people, um, do most people in your line of work, and I'm, I'm being serious asking this question, especially in light of the, of the atmosphere in this country right now. Uh, do 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 you have a certain pledge, and maybe even a, an official one, where you are completely against censorship and um, and uh, I don't know boycotts of 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 books in the printed word? And I say that because today, one especially today, so many people make arguments about why certain positions or you know public statements or even the printed word, if it's you know reflecting a certain point of view, you know, should not be out there. Can I assume that even if right. something is really offensive? To you, let's say politically, for argument's sake, uh, you would still encourage you know those opinions to be out there.
4: Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, the American Library Association has all kinds of you know statements about this, um, lots of training about this when you go to library school because it's something that that especially public librarians and school librarians deal with all the time, especially materials for children, where parents you know are really concerned they don't want their children you know looking at a certain book and they want it out of the library. Um, and then you even have all this stuff going on today with fake news with people coming in and saying, "Well, I read this on the Internet. it's true, right?" right. right. <laughs> or, you know, all kinds of books being published with with you know off the wall conspiracy theories. you know and but librarians, you know you only have a certain amount of space in the library. There's only so much you can choose to put on the shelves. So librarians are always thinking about, you know what is what is the best sources of information what's the most authoritative you know what's what's the highest quality that's always the stuff they're going to want to go to and of course that can somewhat be objective but you also have to think about the community that you're serving you know what do people want to read if somebody requests something if multiple people request something you're going to get that that for your community
0: right you know it's funny and 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 we feel this all the time because there's this balance we have because we are you know we we, we take our religious observance seriously so there is you know a measure of censorship that comes along with that we feel certain things are inappropriate as you mentioned for children etc and at the and at the same time we try to take a position of we are not at all pro boycotts or pro censorship because we don't want others doing the same to us we want to have you know, be able to have our opinion and express through demonstrative manners you know what we have to yeah. say and you know etc so it's a very you know often life presents these very delicate balances that are hard to uh that are hard to, um, uh, you know, navigate at times. Yeah, it's it's a
4: really difficult thing. Yeah, one thing that's been bubbling up in the library world is um, access to meeting rooms in libraries. And should every single group be able to, you know, even, you know, neo-Nazi groups, should they be able to meet in the libraries? And a lot of librarians are saying no. (laughs) Like we have to draw the line somewhere about, you know, what we believe, what we're promoting by, you know, allowing certain groups to, to meet there. What would Ruth say? Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I think she would, I think.
0: And the, na- know. And the Nazi would question would, no, but. And the, yeah, the Nazi question would really be a, a sensitive to her.
4: Yeah, it would. Um, yeah, I know if they met there, she probably wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you
0: that. What a fascinating but, look at history through one person. You did a great job on this. I got to tell you. Oh, thank you. Uh, check it out, everybody. A well-read woman. Uh, the Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport, as written by Kate Stewart. It's a biography. It's A1. Excuse me. It's a little a. Little a publishing. And I would assume, Kate, it's available everywhere at this point, right?
4: Yep. It should be available at your local bookstore.
0: And uh, Amazon and all that. Just search Kate mm-hmm. Stewart. Uh, I appreciate you getting up early and joining us. And congratulations on this. Uh, like I say, a very interesting look at history through the, uh, uh, through the uh, eyes and experiences of one very interesting woman. Uh, yeah, thank you. Th- so much for having me a pleasure thank you again and good luck with the book thanks a well-read woman kate stewart with us here on jm and the that was my conversation with kate stewart author of the book well-read woman uh that does it for jm rewind for this week plenty more coming up if you keep it right here make sure to keep your uh app and your computer and your phone here all day long at the nachom siegel network (laughs)
5: Mets up in Mantini, Misrachim, Mantini, Me xakib, me tsapi, ma mtini, misraqshin, me 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 me